Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. The Culture Classroom is powered by Pro Quick Draw. Clinic season is right around the corner. Are you ready? Pro Quick Draw is here to get you organized. Listen to our sponsor as they talk about the effectiveness for building your playbook with Microsoft Visio and PowerPoint. ProQuickDraw is the Microsoft Playbook development system that is centered on increasing your efficiency in drawing plays, generating scouting reports, creating scout cards, drawing within PowerPoint and Visio. Build your library of plays from scratch or by using the PQD folder system. Utilize our Visio stencils or PowerPoint shape library to help you draw your plays. Create your playbook by adding drawings from your library to a custom template to help organize your final playbook. PQD will resize your drawing based on the template that you have chosen. We believe we have the tools that can help you become a better coach. Well, joining us in the classroom today is a special guest, not our typical guest that we'll have, uh, Angus Reed. He's an 11-year CFL veteran. Uh, as a player, he's a father now and uh, has aspirations of being a coach, has been a coach in the past, has a book out called Thank You, Coach, in honor of his coach uh, for nine years in the CFL. And Angus, you and I have built a pretty good relationship over the course of the last month or so, and I am super excited for your interview for our listeners right now. You know, fired up to be here, Coach. It's a, it's an honor. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, Tori has told me so much about you and I've Twitter stalked you and asked Tori about some uh, some things that you've done. So I'm, I'm super pumped about tonight's interview. Segment one is brought to you by GameStrat, the most reliable, advanced, and fastest sideline replay system on the market. It's simple and easy to use with 24-7 support. Choose GameStrat for all your game day needs at GameStrat.com or on Twitter at GameStrat. Well, Angus, we're, we start off uh, by talking about a story, right? So like your story, your development from a young person into an adult. And uh, you've got a really interesting background with some of your interests and hobbies and then how sports play into that. So tell our listeners a little bit about your story and what drew you to football and what drew you to the high level and performer you are today. Uh, it's a great question because everybody has their reason for becoming what they end up becoming. And I, I look at mine on the one hand, it was almost like I didn't have a choice, but on the other hand, it was everything I wanted to do. So I grew up uh, one of six kids, Irish Catholic family. I'm the fifth boy of five boys and a girl and I'm the youngest boy. So I'm the second youngest, I have four older brothers. And I don't know if people call that a blessing or a curse depending on <laughs> what type of situation you think big families are, but it was the greatest, greatest upbringing I could ever imagine. Uh, there's a, my mom had, do the math here, okay? My mom had four under the age of three. There's twins there, all right? They're bang, 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 bang. She powered them out, right? And then six years to me, and then six years to my little sister. So I grew up with four older brothers that were six to, to eight and a half years older than me. So they were a little bit too much older to just beat me up all the time. And my mom would never allow that. So they were really my heroes. I was their little, little brother. And all I wanted to do every moment was be around them. And I also didn't have a choice because the way I was raised, there was my mom and my dad and then my four brothers. And by the time they were grade six, grade seven, grade eight, uh, there was soccer games, basketball games, and eventually football games and track. And so the only option they had to do with young Angus, I'm not going to say little Angus because I was always this gigantic kid, but young Angus was to drag me along to all these things. So, so my childhood from a very young age was spent in gyms and on fields. That's all I knew. It's the only thing I knew. I, I was getting carted around to each of my brother's games every season they played on whatever the seasonal sport was for the school. And so all I knew was cheering them on, watching what they were doing and mimicking them on the sidelines with, with whatever ball the sport was happening to be and trying to do what they were trying to do and, and being very grateful that they would give me their participation trophies they didn't want. And I got to get those and I got to be the ball boy and kind of their team clown that sat on the end of the bench and go to their tournaments and, and, and hang out with them. And it was a real... It was a real dream of a childhood to be surrounded by my heroes that happened to be my brothers and in a world that was nonstop sports. And so it's what I grew up understanding from, from a fan perspective, but also from a, a, a desire to do. And I had the, the greatest modeling you could think of because we were either watching them perform or I'd go home 
And my brothers were workers, so you'd see what they did. They'd work on their basketball dribbling at home or work on their, on their football stance or whatever they were doing, and they put effort into it. Then they'd watch the pro games on the TV and watch it to see how they were doing it, to go home to practice it, to play it. So I, I, was, in doc, I, I, was, really, uh, I was really raised in an environment of what it meant to play sports, to love it, and to work hard at it, and, and to want to do that. So that's, that was my childhood. That's all I really knew. Um, talk about when you came time to graduate high school and you're trying to decide what the next chapter of your life looks like. You had a little bit of a crossroads, correct? Yeah, yeah, I did. And, and well, it's funny. I'll give you a little bit more of a story here that, that your listeners and you guys wouldn't know about. And, and it kind of it gaps into uh, overcoming obstacles and really defining who I was or who I am. So, you know, through my elementary years, uh, I played all the sports and I was this big chubby kid that, 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 you know, I had a lot of confidence because my brothers were great and they were great at sports. And here I am, the biggest kid in my class. And when I got to the eighth grade, though, uh, I got really sick and, and I was raised to be tough, which, uh, which is great to a limit. You know, when, when you're raised to be tough, though, and you, you don't ever want to show weakness because you have brothers and you don't want to look like you're a wimp, uh, you know, sometimes it, it can't be smart. It's not a smart thing. And I'll compress this story, but uh, I had a really severe pain in, in, in my stomach in my, my first year of high school, and I didn't want to s- complain about stomach ache. But after the sixth day, I couldn't, I couldn't walk anymore, and I was in, in tears, and, and I finally stopped hiding in my room. And my, my sister, my little sister, ran to my mom and said, look, something's really wrong with Angus. And she came in and, and asked me where it hurt my shoulder and the side of my stomach. And long story short, I had, I had a ruptured appendix huh, six days earlier. And anyone that knows anything about that means I should not be doing this podcast with you right now. I should not have had a football career. I should have not have made it through the ninth grade. And, and I didn't know that. I just thought I would have had a bad stomachache in your whip for complaining about things like that. But off we go to the hospital and there's not a lot you can do at that point. Uh, it's basically they, they put a vacuum, I guess, and you try to suck out the poison I think I broke the BC, the British Columbia record for, for longest appendix and not dying. Not a record you want to have. But the long and the short of it was uh, I was in the hospital for almost seven weeks. Uh, I was raised Catholic. And, and to, to give you a reality of how bad things got, I had my last rites read to me. Funeral arrangements were being made. And, uh, you know, family was flying in from back east. And, 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 you know, people were kind of getting their goodbyes out. My brothers were being really nice to me. You know, like all that weird stuff. And uh, I tell this story when I keynote a lot that, that was life-changing for me because I was seriously withering away to nothing and there was nothing else they could do except hope. And when hope is your strategy, uh, you, you know it's pretty bleak. And my, my family would rotate who would stay with me in the hospital because being 12, 13, whatever I was, hospital's a pretty scary place, particularly when you start realizing the reality of your life and where you're at here. And you're just sitting there with tubes in your, in your, in your nose and your stomach and, and all by yourself. And my mom would stay the night shift with me because I never slept and she knew it was scary, dark and quiet. You just left with your thoughts. And one night uh, out about that seven week mark, I, I was done. I had no energy left, no fight in me left, nothing. You know, it was, I, I saw no hope, no future, no anything. And I remember leaning to my mom and I said, mom, I just want to tell you, uh, I love you. Tell dad, I love him. Tell my, tell everybody I love them. I just want to say goodbye. I, I, I got to close my eyes and I'm going to die now. I, I have no fight left. And I always tell people, I don't know what your mother would do, but, but my mom, she got up, looked me dead in the eyes. She said, you get up right now, get up. And I said, I can't. She goes, yeah, you can, you will, you get up. And I said, mom, I can't. So she said, okay. And she put her arm under my, under my head and lifted me out of the bed. And she goes, okay, well you lean on me then we're getting you up. We're going to go walking. I go, mom, I can't walk. My muscles are atrophied. I haven't been up in six weeks. She goes, you lean on me. You are not closing your eyes and you are not quitting and we're going to go walking. And you know, when you're in the hospital, when you do things you're not supposed to do, all these bells and whistles go off and nurses come out of nowhere, right out of closets and stuff. And, and, and they're like, what are you doing? And my mom said, listen, take my son walking right now, just back off. And I had the tubes out of my nose and, and out of my stomach and was attached to that, you know, that drip machine they got. And I'd hang on there. I said, mom, I can't walk. She was lean on me. I'll carry you. We're going to go. And she dragged me through the halls that night would not let me sit down and close my eyes because she knew I was going to quit. I did not have fight in me. And she pulled me through till the sun came up. And don't ask me how, but I was out of the hospital, I think two days after that. It got better. And, and there's, there's, there's an amazing lesson in there, I think on twofold though. One, you never quit on yourself, okay? You do never quit on yourself. And two, it's okay to ask for help and have to lean on somebody from time to time. And then I also learned as, you got, as I got stronger and, and grew from that, 
to be that person for others, to not let other people quit. And when, when you have to, you pick them up and you drag them through that darkness until the light comes up and you get going. But, you know, something happened when, when I'd missed seven weeks and all of a sudden I'd lost like a hundred pounds and, you know, my, my body had atrophy. You come back to school and in Canada, you know, eighth grade is your first year of high school, not like grade nine. So here's your freshman year. And, and we all know that kind of beginning of that school year is when you sort of jockey for who your friends are going to be, right? You, you're, you know, the, the, the athletes kind of go over here and the smart kids kind of become friends here and off you go along your way through high school. Well, I was dying in a hospital bed when people were kind of getting to know who they were going to be at high school and figure out who you're with. So I show up lost. You know, I no football. I come in at a shell of who I am, no confidence. I'm not this big, uh, confident kid anymore. And everybody's sort of found their friends now and off they go. And, and I show up like, where do I fit in? And so a lot of people that don't know me well don't know this, but I didn't play any sports. And then that, that ninth grade, I didn't play any sports. In grade 10, I didn't play any sports. I had zero confidence. I, I, I did not know where to fit in. I did not know what to do. I learned I was not going to quit. My mom had taught me, you don't quit on yourself. But I, I, wasn't, I wasn't driven to, to do anything yet. So I had nothing that was going to give me passion. So I just sort of drifted. And anyone that's seen my, my TED talk on why we need high school football, it shows how, uh, you know, I owe everything to sport because, yeah, I grew up watching it. My brothers played it and I loved it, but I lost any ounce of confidence that I could go out and do this sport now. And by, by 10th grade, you're like, you know, people are along their way. Who am I? I'm nothing special and I can't, I can't do that stuff. That stuff I grew up watching my brothers do came a long memory. And then our coach came out like he always did and recruited the hallways, <laughs> invited me out. He knew who I was. I mean, you know, he coached my, my brother's stuff, but for eight, grade eight, grade nine, grade 10, I, I wasn't doing nothing. And I'm not an exceptional athlete by any means. I'm just an ordinary guy. And he invited me out and said, listen, Angus, I love to see you on the team. I think you'd be great. And that changed everything because here was somebody that I knew and looked up to and was, was a somebody. And, he, and all he said was, I think you'd be great. And he probably said that to every single kid in the hallway, but it didn't matter for a moment for the first time since I was in, since I'd been in elementary school, I'm like, I can be great. Like I can do some, somebody who's not my mom, who's not my dad, who doesn't have to say this said, look, I, I'd love you to be part of our group. And so I went out and, and, you know, here's what I share with kids. I played 13, I played 13 years coach, not 11 pro. And I won two championships and, and I was a many time team captain. I won my all stars. I ticked all the boxes that people say, well, well, that's a good career. I didn't play football to 11th grade. And guess what? When I walked into that team, I was terrible because I'm not a natural gifted athlete. I was just a kid that said, okay, he wants me to do this. I've always wanted to do this. Let's go out. And, and you know what? Let's, let's try to work at this. And, and, I, and I sat on the bench till the second last game of the season because why would I be good at something I'd never done before? You know, I, I, I took the long road and I was on the scout team the whole year and I was on kickoff return. And then I, I worked my butt off on scout team and got better and better at everything I could do. And by the end of that first year, or grade 11, my junior year, got to play a little bit the last two games of the season. And, and my, you know, my journey just was like crawling, crawling. And my, my senior year, I was a good player, but I wasn't a blue chip. You know, I was a, I was a lineman that was six foot one, 240 pounds. So, you know, high school, pretty good lineman, but I'm not a, I'm not anyone that the big schools are looking at. And, you know, you coach, you, you mentioned a kind of a crossroad. You know, I, I also, on the other hand, my, my real gift was, was art. I love sports. I love sports like nobody's business, but my natural gift is art. I'm not a, I'm not a gifted athlete. I'm a kid that wanted to be like my brothers and have a, and has a hard work ethic and will do what it takes. But I, I'm not a natural born phenom at all. Okay. So art, art was why my gift that I could do. And, you know, when I finished high school, uh, in Canada, the only real offers I had was from the two local schools. And that was great. My brothers had played there, you know, but I decide, you know, art's what I'm gifted at, but football's what I've chosen and I've gotten better at. And I decided, you know, you got one shot to play sports when you're young. Art, art's a lifelong kind of love, kind of hobby. Uh, if I didn't, <laughs> I almost mangled my hands too much playing too long to be able to come back to it, but, but I luckily can, can do that. There was a time, you know, you're 37 still playing football. Now, now my art might not be there, but we're okay. But I, I chose football and I went to the local school, uh, Simon Fraser, which is the only NCA Division II school in Canada. We're, we're, we're the only Canadian school in the NCA. And at that time, though, we were NAIA, which was really cool. Got to play American ball. So I, I got to be one of the really lucky ones that didn't have to leave my country, but I played American football in the U.S. system in Canada. Really, really kind of cool. Uh, but I will quickly spread through this story until we get to pro because 
again, people don't know this about me, which makes my story even a little more crazy now that I look back. Uh, you know, I go there as a, as a freshman. Uh, I'm going to be a defensive lineman, right? Every offensive lineman is going to be a defensive lineman to go to college. Sure, I'll be a nose guard, right? 6'1", 240, I'm going to be a D lineman. And, and, the, and, the, and the schools lie to you. Sure, you'll be a D lineman. Sign here, right? So they bring you in and, and they redshirt me and, and I hear I'm a D lineman. And, and I knew the whole time. You show up, redshirt freshman year now. Guess what? You're going to be an offensive lineman. Yeah, well, that was probably their plan all along, but now I'm here. What are you going to do? And, and I played well my, my, my redshirt freshman year, and I, and I start midway through. I'm about 255, 260 pounds. But what do you do when you're in college and you got to get up to 300 pounds and you're a lineman? What do you do? You eat everything, right? <laughs> I mean, everything. I could, you know, my, my college roommate tells stories about me. I'm a dedicated person. And I was at the point where I was eating like 10,000 calories a day. Yeah. I, I found these... I found these uh, uh, Olufsen everything bagels at, at Safeway. They had like 638 calories a bagel. And so my daily goal was to eat a bag of them, which is a dozen, in between meals, just like outside of meals. So you put some peanut butter on and, and you're, you know, you're, you're in your lecture hall eating them, you're after practice eating them, you're in the evening eating them. And you know, I was getting big, 280, 290, and getting strong. The problem was, though, ever since my appendix had blown, for that long, I really damaged my internal organs back when I was a kid. Mm. And you know what happens when you start cramming 10,000 calories down every day to your stomach? <laughs> it says stop. And at the end of my second year, my whole stomach shut down and I ended up with a bunch of ulcers and, and whatnot. And, uh, I, you know, I was getting checked for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and all these horrible things. And I, 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 I got so sick again. I ended up having a really extreme case of irritable bowel syndrome where my, my, my bowels had shut down and it was just a disaster. Again, long story short, I missed the next three seasons. I was told to never play football again. Mm. I lost another 100 pounds. I was back down to 200 pounds. I was bedridden for six of those months. I was away from my team. I left the team three straight years. Uh, two of them, I, I, I removed myself from the university. I was at home because I was in so much pain. I couldn't move. And, you know, told by every specialist, you know, you're not playing sports anymore. You got to you got to get to a diet that's simple and bland and easy. And, uh, you know, and there was a moment, maybe a year, where I almost believed that. But my, my parents and my brothers, they kept telling me, listen, if this is what you're going to do, we'll find a way. And anyone that's followed sports, you miss three or college years. And, and not like you're rehabbing a knee and you're on the team. Like, I was home. I was away from the team. I had health issues. Told, like, you know, I was 210 pounds. Like, that's even too heavy. I'm eating boiled chicken and rice to try to see if my stomach will calm down with water. And I'm an offensive lineman. I made it back. And we don't have time in this podcast to talk about the whole thing, but I made it back for my senior year. And I was in it. I was, I became an NAI all American. I was only the fifth, I think all American in my school history. Uh, made it back, worked my way back up 295, 300 pounds. I mean, that's a whole story on its own, but then I got drafted uh, fourth overall in the came in the Canadian CFL draft. The Toronto Argonauts took me with the number one pick. And then here's the kicker. I was a number one draft pick, okay? I don't know how. I'm like five foot 13. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shrimp for an offensive lineman. I was the shortest one there, but big and strong. And I did well in that, that silly Wonderlic test. I can talk well. I don't know. I fooled them, I guess. I'd only played, like, do the math. I'd only played about my senior year, my redshirt freshman year, and really my senior in high school. I played about three years over six years of football in my life. I'm not an athletic gifted human being so like yeah i'd be pretty raw you know I, I didn't have a lot in me so here i am though number one draft pick i got cut in training camp and i might have the distinction of being the only number one draft pick in any sport anywhere in the world to be a number one draft pick and get cut in training camp i'm their number one pick not traded not not uh, you know put on injured reserve cut so you talk about the emotional swing that you deal with, with, you know, here I am bouncing back from never going to play football again to being a number one draft pick. Greatest story in the world on top of two weeks later, get cut in training camp. Done. Like seriously. And so, you know, I, I, again, roller coaster is nuts, but I did what I had to do. I, I, I got on the phones, me and my agent would call. I got on, uh, on the Montreal Alouettes took me up as on their practice roster. Good. I'm back in the game. Set spent that whole first year on their practice roster. They shipped me home to the BC Lions, my hometown team who put me on the practice roster that first year. So here I am. I made it to the pro level. My first season, I had been cut, traded, and sat on a roster. So I'd been on three teams and never dressed for one game. So you think about what that sets you up for, for thinking, yeah, I'm cut out for this. This is, this is where I'm at. So every step along the way, I had been given every reason to remind myself that you have no business doing this. 
And yet I found a way, plugged out my 13 years, ticked all the boxes and, and got to live my dream that I started when I was like eight years old, wanting to be like my brothers through all that nonsense. So that's a little testimony to people out there that, you know, are, are, are worried that they don't have things perfect right now. Good. Guess what? They shouldn't be. And they won't be. All that matters is what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to wait for that? Or are you just going to do what you can and keep moving forward? And sometimes it feels like backwards, but if you're moving, you keep doing what you can do. You no guarantee, but you're giving yourself the best shot. Anyways, that was a massive ramble. So I just want to get everyone up to speed. No, that's not a ramble at all. In fact, Coach Weaver, I have two takeaways on that. And Angus, the first time I heard your story uh, with your appendix and with your health issues, uh, I immediately thought of Coach K and be as tough as your mom, right? Yeah. yeah you're yeah. laying in the hospital bed. Your mom is exhausted. You're exhausted. You're probably a big burden on the family at that point. But she wasn't giving up. Uh, and so, like, moms are tough. So there's oh. one takeaway right there. Like, be as tough as your mom. And coaches, if you haven't seen that Coach K talk to his Duke basketball team, uh, maybe we can drop it in a link, uh, Coach Weaver. But it is must-see TV, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, you know, and, and again, I, I resonate with that because I have one of those moms that, you know, I'm 45 years old now. or 40, Shoot, I'm 44. I'm turning 45. She's still my mom kicking my kicking my butt when when I'm sitting there going I don't know if I can do this today. No, you get up and go. And she calls every night, you know, checking in, making sure you're you're on point, calling calling me out when I'm when I'm uh, you know getting down on myself or, or thinking low. And she's like, no, you, you show up. And you know, we were raised to uh, bring your best to whatever you choose to do. And I was raised in a way that she she always let us know that she wasn't going to tell us what to do, but we better be doing something. And whatever we choose to do. You better give it your all. She'll support you. And that's what mattered. It wasn't what you did. It's how you do it. And you bring your best and, and you, you never stop once you've committed to doing something and, and you do your best to help those around you. But again, it wasn't a matter of, you know, you need to do this with your life. You just need to bring your best to whatever you're going to choose to do it. And off you go and do it every single time. Yeah. I just, I think I, I, I just, the whole time I was listening, I just thought about, the obstacles, how how many times it maybe had gone through your head, like, all right, th- this uh, this wasn't cut out for me, like this, not in the cards, not in the cards, and it go back to you, Coach Tory, your mom's there saying, no, this is this is what we're gonna do, this is what we're gonna do, and then it planted that seed in the where now as forty four year old, you're like, I'm gonna do this, like it's just perseverance, like I might not be the best, I might not, although I was a first round draft pick and got traded and got cut, you just kept persevering till you spent 13 years in the CFL to where, and that's just a great message to, to our listeners, to kids, to whoever listens to this, that just don't give up. And it, 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 I think about Jimmy V, you yeah. know, the whole time you were thinking like, don't give up, don't ever give up of how, how many times we just quit. It gets tough. It's uncomfortable, and we just quit. Yeah. To where now, yeah. it's just pushed through. Yeah, and I think what we do in, in today's world with, with our youth, I, I, I worry so much because we're so now, uh, I don't want to use the word dependent, but we're, we're so looking for external validation and, and external can I or can't I, depending on what everyone's saying. And, you know, I'll never forget when I got cut by Toronto, I phoned home. And talking to my parents, and I'm, and that's when I kind of said, like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe, 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 maybe I don't have a chance. I said that, and my dad was on the phone this time, and I said, you know, Dad, they cut me. These are the people that know what they're doing. You know, they said I'm not good enough, and and I'll never forget his response on the phone. He said, okay, Angus, but what do you say? Mm-hmm. What do you say? They said that. But what do you say? And then I remember saying, do you, go, do you still want to do this? I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, then what can you do right now? What can you do? So I said, well, I can go get a workout and then I can get on the phone and start phoning teams and do that. Then do that. Do what you can every single time. And and I think, again, we're in a world today where, uh, you know, people, people show themselves so much to the world and they're, they're looking to see the response and, and, and they're, they're, they're letting themselves uh, decide whether this is good or bad based on what you're saying, what everyone's saying. 
and they're waiting for it. And it's only good if everyone says it's good, or I'm only doing well if you say I'm going to do well, or I only have a chance if you say I do. And we got to remind ourselves that everything in life is what you think and what you decide. That's it. That is it. What do you say is what, what matters most? What do you say? Every time people say, well, everyone's saying this, but what do you say? And, and that, that is the only thing that's going to matter. Uh, uh, and then what are you going to do? Yeah, I think that's a really important part right there because so many times, especially when you're multi-talented, like you had the art thing going, you had the sports thing going, you had older brothers, you're fighting for your health. I mean, so no one would uh, no one would question you if you threw in the towel or if, you know, things didn't work out the way they did. But so many times in life, they're, the people who are most talented, it's like we want the path of least resistance. We, a lot of times we want to be like water, right? Where we just kind of flow and go wherever it takes us and, and eventually we find our niche somewhere. But um, there's something to be said about fighting. And so my second takeaway from your story is I think about the top 10 NFL running backs of all time. They have an average birth order of like 3.4 years. Uh, they're like the third point four kid in their family. And so it's like, there's something to be said about the runt of the family, right? There's something to be said about older siblings. There's something to be said about that toughness that you grow up with because you got to fight for the last glass of milk in the bottom of the jug, right? Like no one's going to give that to you. And uh, so not only is your mom tough, but also your birth order forced you to be tough as well. And I think that's an amazing testimony. Yeah. And and I think there's two things there where, you know, I know a lot of younger siblings that uh, their brothers were really hard on them. And, and to your point, they learned to fight. I was a little bit different because I was so much younger than them. Uh, it, was, it was pointless for them to, 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 they were challenging each other because there was four under the age of three. They were all the same. And then I, here I am six years younger. So, you know, they're playing street hockey. They put me in net just because it's funny to let me get blasted by the ball. But I was too young for them to, for me to try to beat them at one-on-one. So what I got from them which I'm going to speak to in a moment, if, if you're on the other side of the fence, how valuable this is, was modeling. You know, because they, I wasn't really, I was too young for to really try to upstage them in basketball and football. Like, I, it was pointless. But what I got was an environment to see what it takes. And they were good enough to me that I wanted to be like them. And so they let me see what they did every single night when they would practice what they did. They would dedicate what they did. And I saw the effort that they played with. Because after school, when I was in elementary, we all went home together. So what I do? Sit in the gym and watch some practice. And, and, and they work hard. And so before I understood what that really meant, that's what normal was. Because that's just what my brothers do. You, you bring your best every single time. That wasn't weird for me because that's just what we did. And so <clears throat> what, I, what I'll speak on is you're, that's luck if you, if you happen to have that. So I was lucky. But... Anyone that does become uh, excellent at what they do, please realize the responsibility you have to model for everyone that's watching you. Because there's little kids and younger people and even your teammates that look to you because you're the big dog or you're the one and understand that it's not about you. It's about what can your effort do to model for everyone around you to realize what that means to be someone that they wanna look to. And it's not about the cool shoes and the cool shirt. It's about the effort to attention to detail that you put into what you do and the care to your performance that's going to rub off to everybody watching so they go, oh, that's, that's what it is. Thank you. And you never have to say a word. It's how you go about your business. You're telling the world and, sh- and modeling for the next generation. This is what matters. It's not the cool shoes, the cool hat. That's fun, but that's not what it's about. This is the work. And I think it's more, it's very valuable now that we utilize things like social media and in these platforms to show what daily commitment is, not just what the highlight reel looks like, because we'll chase that thinking that's what, what it is. That's byproducts that happen here and there of, of what most people don't see. And the modeling is that daily behavior. So I was so lucky that every day I'm at home and yeah, I saw them win the big game. But what I really saw every day was till after the lights went out, working on the dribbling skills out in the backyard again and again and again, and not playing video games, working on things, working on ball handling, working on, my brother would work on his long snapping, just, three hours a night to nothing quiet i'm watching this going that's what you do it's boring but that's awesome i want to be like them oh this is what you do every night okay that to me is more needed now than ever because everybody wants the cherry on the cake but nobody wants to sit there and make the you know make the make the base of the cake because it's it's long it's kind of boring you don't really see it but that's what holds everything up yeah 
our our head of school who hired me, Mr. Uh, Tommy Thompson, had this thing. And when you were talking about modeling, it was little eyes are watching. And that's how he started every uh, school year with little eyes are watching. Well, he retired five years ago. And they made a plaque. So every time any kid, any parent, whoever walks into our school, there's a huge plaque that says little eyes are always watching. Just reminding the modeling part. You have an opportunity to uh, bring bravado or bring some humility to, uh, to, to, to the situation. And how do you do that? And that really shows who you are. Listen, all sports is, is an opportunity to express who you are. That's all it is, right? And, 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 and you get that leveraged moment where you can now take advantage of it and really showcase, and now you're showing the world who you are. Mm-hmm. And do you use this to demoralize somebody? Because, or did you use it to, to, to show who, you know, care for, even for your opponent? You know, you're here to win the game, but, you know, you're not here to uh, uh, demolish other people or embarrass human beings. Because that's just a transfer of, of what you'll do in real life also, right? Sports is just a, uh, it's a training ground to give you opportunities to find out who you are and then showcase who you are. And then and you're modeling it to everyone watching you, yeah. uh, especially if you happen to be successful. Because people go, okay, that's what you're supposed to do. So understand that privilege you have and that responsibility that comes with that privilege. And, and that's what I, I really stress to the pro athletes or, or anyone that's excelling. Little eyes are watching. And you now have a responsibility to carry, to model proper behavior and, and, and doing and, and, and living, living as best as you possibly can to show people, uh, you know, a good, uh, how life can be lived and still win. Segment two is brought to you by Great Annual's Nissan North. We're here for you, Mississippi. Need a new or pre-owned vehicle? Visit GreatAnnualsNissanOfJackson.com. You still have things to do, and you still have places to go. The all-new Great Daniels Nissan North in Jackson is here for you. If you need a new Nissan or a pre-owned vehicle, we have you covered with the lowest new Nissan prices in Jackson and the best customer service you'll find anywhere. In-store, we're going above and beyond to safeguard your health and safety. And with Great Daniels Direct, buy 100% online from the comfort of home. Even schedule service pickup and delivery. Come see us today at the all-new Great Daniels Nissan North in Jackson. We're here for you, Mississippi. Great segue into our next segment uh, where we talk about success. And uh, so with three years of playing under your belt from little little kids all the way through high school, all the way into, into college, uh, success really started for you when you met Coach Dan, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, true, true real success, yeah. You know, you here and there, you had my bumps in the road, but my career really didn't get going in football till my, my, my third year pro. I mean, everything along there was stops and starts and, and uncertainty. And, you know, by the time I made my third year, uh, you know, guys that follow sports know it's probably the same in any any career you get to in life. Year three is make or break. Your first year in any career, you're, you, you know, you're finding your way, you're, 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 you're a rookie, you're whatever. You, you know, you get, a, you get a leeway to kind of figure it out. Year two, you should be showing improvement. And then year three, you're either going to become a contributor or this, maybe this career isn't for you. For the most part, I think that's pretty universal. And football for real because the way the contracts work, the way the age works, and just the, the nature of the sport. By year three, you have a player or they're going to get someone else. And so by my third year, I, I hadn't become a real player yet. My first year, you guys saw, I was never played it down. My second year, I was a sixth, seventh man lineman that got in a couple games because of injury. So year three, it's kind of like, okay, am I going to be a player or not? And we had a new coaching staff come in. So that was really tough on me because I didn't have a lot of film behind me. And here I am kind of an unknown with a new staff. And I got <clears throat> my new personal offensive line coach coach dan who i wrote the whole book about who became my my coach for the next uh 10 years of my career so i don't know too many athletes maybe outside of tom brady that can say they you know they had the same coach for over a decade uh, the same sport so pretty special but he he changed my life from the first moment i met him and here i am kind of still an insecure athlete even though i'm at the pro level because i hadn't established myself yet meeting my my new coach who didn't know anything about me and i'll share this with you as i i, I do in my keynotes he looked me in the eye and, and he asked me the most powerful question that changed my life in that moment for the rest of my career and, and still to this day. You know, after we said our hellos, Dan's super intense, by the way. You know, he, you know, he's about five foot, 
nine and a half and about 143 pounds extra soaking wet. And he's coaching gigantic offensive linemen, but the intensity he brings is, is ridiculous. And he stared me dead in the eye and he said, Angus, I just want to know one thing. Look me dead in the eye. I always see these long pauses. He said, how good do you want to be? And that sounds like such a simple question, doesn't it? But I'll tell you what, most of my career and most of my life, and I think most of your listeners would agree, we often get told how good we need to be by people. Coaches, parents, people. This is how good you got to be. How good we'd like you to be. How good we need you to be. Hmm. A lot of people grow up their whole life being told what they need to be or the level they need to get at. All Coach Dan cared about is how good do you want to be? How good do I want to be? And then the po- most the powerful, the, the, the power in that question is that only I can answer that. And, and nobody can stop my answer. Nobody can dictate it to me. And what I learned in that moment was it's the only question that matters. Because I can teach you all the techniques in the world and we can give you all you want. But until you answer that question, <clears throat> none of it's going to matter. How good do you want to be? That will dictate the effort you put into everything you do. So it doesn't matter if you're the greatest coach in the world. You don't want to be good. It's irrelevant. And, 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 that's, and it was also so liberating because he reminded me that it's in my hands how good I want to be. You know, and then we went on to talk for a while, but really what that boiled down to was by the end of that first conversation, he promised me that he would give me everything he had. And if I give everything I have, there was one guarantee. I would become the very best version of myself that's, that would be possible. Would I play 13 years pro? Who knows? Would I become a starter on the team? Who knows? That you cannot predict, you cannot guarantee, but you can ensure that you will become the very best that you can become. And there is nothing better than that in life. And the one thing I will share with you when I speak to teams and coaches at every level, the only thing that matters as a coach, are you teaching your kids things that will transfer after they finish playing? If you're not, you're wasting their time because you're teaching them something that gets locked in a memory. And that's sad. When Coach Dan taught me to decide how good do I want to be, he was teaching me a life transferable lesson that everything we do in football now is the breeding ground to understand that it's about effort to your action, what you're doing. And you can always control that. And if you learn that here in the sport, you take that into the real world, into your business, your career, your marriage, your community, and you keep asking yourself, how good do you want to be? That will spill over into everything you've got. Because you and I both know uh, uh, running a 4 5 40, benching 500 pounds, 43-inch vertical leap, that, does, that doesn't transfer to anything. It's all a bunch of nonsense. But learning to bring your very best every single time you do what you choose to do is a skill that transfers to every part of your life and will ensure that you are always being the best version of yourself in every moment possible. And it's a question that I, I challenge your listeners to think about and then, and then embed so it haunts them. Every time when they're not paying attention to someone talking to them or their, their kids are bugging them right now and they're about to lose their mind, as we all know, and you go, how good do I want to be right now? You choose. Think about it. And then you act accordingly. And I've never forgotten that moment. And that changed everything to realize I don't know how good of a player I can be, but I always know how good I can be at what I do. I can bring my best at everything. And that gave me the best chance. And then things worked out pretty well. Those are, those are seven powerful words. How Anyone good can do you want to be? And I'm just reflecting back on this season. And Coach Tori, you're probably thinking back of how many times I did tell kids, we need you to be this for us. And then if they didn't fit that square peg to that square hole, well, then they didn't view themselves as being successful. The failure, you know, and, and, and it's, 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 and it, we're, and it's nobody's fault because we were all raised that way where uh, we get X, you know, the, the expectations come externally mm-hmm. and then we, we, we get, we get bars that we're supposed to live up to. And if we don't, then oh, we failed. How good do you want to be? And the nice thing is it's a, it, it's a question that once, once it gets in your head, it can, you can utilize that question every single moment. Every single moment, we talk about you know the power of being present now and all these great things. Right in the moment, you're drifting from the conversation. How good do you want to be right now? You know, every everybody, whether you're 10 years old or 44 years old, 
to challenge yourself with that question every moment of your life. You're doing the dishes. You're putting things away. You, 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 you're, you're listening to your kid talk about nonsense, but they're, but they're talking to you because it matters to them. How good do you want to be as a parent right now? You choose. Act accordingly or don't. But remember, it's your choice. No, I think that's really powerful. And uh, for those of you who've read, thank you, Coach. I mean, Angus goes into a lot more detail about what makes Coach Dan different, uh, what helps build their relationship. Um, and then you don't play 13 years in the CFL with only three years under your belt going into that unless there's some really good coaching, some step-by-step process. And again, you cover a lot of that in the book. There are a lot of different platforms that people can listen to if they want X's and O's. That's not really what Coach Weaver and I do. Uh, but I want to talk more about the relationship piece because we talk about creating an identity within your position group. And uh, Coach Dan called you guys the glove. And yeah. you as the center, I mean, that was a huge takeaway when I read Thank You, Coach, uh, just being the glove, five guys working together. Uh, so I want you to elaborate on that. And then I also want you to elaborate on um, the payday bar. Because sure. for me, as a culture guy, those are the two things that really stand out that made Coach Dan different and special. Sure. Uh, I know, I'll let you know, uh, Coach Dan was great at, in, our, uh, in our meeting room. You know, he, he would <clears throat> plaster it with, with phrases and sayings, and he'd always rotate them. So it wasn't just, they weren't just becoming tiresome and repetitive. It was always something new. So he would put conscious effort into, uh, you know, various phrases, you know, five guys, one heartbeat, uh, yeah, five fingers, one glove, uh, you know, all these things that he would come up with and he would talk about them. So he'd start every single meeting. And this is pro football. We're on the clock. The union only lets you have so much time. And, you know, coaches want to maximize every second. But he would start every meeting kind of talking about almost like a parable, something that would relate to the phrase and how what it means or a story and weave it in. So we keep embedding what it means to be an offensive lineman, what it means to him uh, to, to, to coach us and the pride. There was always kind of this reminder that we're doing something special with our lives and he's honored to be there. And it was always tying into bigger themes and, and that was really powerful to us because it reminded us that we were doing a lot more than a job. We were part of a special unit, special group, and a special bond. And he consciously made sure that was never forgotten every single time. Uh, one thing I will say, and I think this was great, I, I put it in the book. He started every training camp with this phrase, and I think it's, it's very important to remind ourselves this as a coach. He said, listen, I need everyone. He said, listen, man, I need you all to know this. I'm, I will treat each and every one of you fairly but I can't treat you all the same because you're not the same. And to do that would be unfair. And think about that. But what that means is you actually have to know each person individually would literally coach nine or 10 separate offensive linemen as human beings where a lot of coaches are like, this is what I do this is how we do things. And you got to live up to this or, you know, it's not going to work out where Dan would realize, uh, you know, uh, certain players responded uh, better to visual stimulus. Certain ones responded better to kinesthetic vis- uh, uh, stimulus. Certain people wanted to watch films. Certain people needed to do things. And certain people needed to be uh, challenged and certain people needed to be a little bit more uh, gently pushed. And so he would adapt his coaching to each person at the pro level where this is your job to do it or not. He understood his job was to give us the best shot to be our best. And to do that was to know who we are. And what, what made us tick and to treat us as individual humans and challenge us accordingly with the most he knew about us. And so, you know, every time we went at things, uh, Dan would, would be speaking to me. And the longer he knew me, the more when he addressed me, he would talk to, 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 to me. And he'd speak to one of my teammates as he knew them, not just generic coach jabber. And, you know, you know, this is how we do things. And you adapt to the coach. He knew the coach's role was to, to adapt to his players, to be, be what they need you to be. Don't force them to be what you want them to be. Be what your players need you to be. And that's someone that actually knows them. And the more you speak to them as an individual and human, the more you know about them, the more you're able to uh, massage your message to each person individually. And that takes a ton of effort. You know, Dan started every season taking us out to lunch, talking about zero football, childhood heroes. What'd you like to do? What's the family like? And he would take notes. He was trying to figure out who we were so he could coach each of us to the best of our ability and connect with us. And it was like a, it wasn't an interview, but it was an in-depth, inquisitive conversation for him to really know who we were and what made us tick and what made us who, who we are. And so he could then really consciously try his very best to communicate with each of us as he, as he learned who we were. 
And so, you know, he messaged me differently than my teammate because they're wired differently. And he took the time to understand that as best as possible because he knew his job as a coach was to be who we needed him to be. And I know there's a lot of coaches out there that demand the players be who they need them to be. When your job as a coach is to be what your players need you to be. And the only way to do that is to know them as, as individuals as best as possible and then adapt to what they need. And that's the only way you'll ensure you're giving them the best shot to perform their best. And then things are what they are. And, and, and this is happening at the pro level where, where, you know, you get paid to do your job or they'll find someone else. Coach Dan still knew his, his job was to give us our best chance to be our best. And the only way to do that was to know how each of us are wired so he could motivate each of us and coach each of us and connect with each of us, how we need to be connected, how we need to be motivated based on who we are. And he took that time. And, and that was something I didn't realize how special that really was because I did 10 years straight with Dan until other players from other teams would come in and go, this guy's crazy. Like he's actually trying to get to know me and cares about me and talks about me. Like we're other coaches do your job or go home. Coach Dan was trying to find out how can I best help you? I'm your coach. What can I be to help you be your best? And, and constantly looking at that. And I'll, I'm forever grateful for that. And I know you want to talk about payday bars. Well, you know, that was a lot of fun because, you know, again, our job was to do our job and you got paid accordingly. And that's, that's usually the incentive at a professional level. You get paid or you go home. But Coach Dan knew even, even at that level, we're still just a bunch of big boys. You know, we like to have fun and, and things matter. And, and, and we're still emotional, emotionally connected to prizes, you know, prizes and rewards. Uh, non-monetary and so you know after each game we'd go in and watch our game film and, and at our level he had it as uh my my first couple of years 90 percent was a winning grade as an offensive lineman then it was bumped up to 92 in the book i go through how they come up with that kind of score so if you graded out over 92 percent and didn't give up a sack in dan's eyes uh you earned your pay that week and you see what the flip side was if you didn't well you got your paycheck didn't mean you earned it just because you got paid doesn't mean you earned your money <laughs> contract said they had to pay you didn't mean you earned your money let's be very clear on that and you earned your pay there's some pride in, in cashing that check and what we would get is uh you know he he'd issue each one it was kind of a little mini ceremony you'd come up in the in, in the film room and he'd give you your payday bar you earned your pay you got a payday yeah you got your check from the team but from dan you you got a payday bar and there was nothing more satisfying than being one of the ones he got it because you got to eat that you got to eat that candy bar while we watched film well, maybe not everyone did, you know? And so you got a little one-up on other people. And, and then we, you know, we also gave out the Nessie Crunch Bar for the, for the most amount of green dots, which were like cut blocks, knockdowns, domination blocks, basically above and beyond the block. And that was only given to one person. And he would keep a, a running chart through, uh, through, through, the, uh, through the office uh, or through our meeting room of green dots. And you'd watch the season go and it would grow and grow and grow. And certain guys would just go around the room. And, you know, they'd get someone to get a Crunch Bar and up to five guys would get payday bars. And there was a, never a more satisfying feeling for Dan. I mean, you'd see his heart glowing when we'd give out five payday bars. You know, when we'd win the game and, and our, our quarterback had a clean jersey, no sacks, and everybody performed over 92%, for him to do that, you, you could see the satisfaction in his eyes of giving all those, all those candy bars out. But, you know, then you got a bunch of 300-plus-pound boys just pounding candy bars like for five years old again, having a great time. And it, and it, it made it fun. You know, at the pro level, there's enough stress. You have to have some fun. And he knew that he, he knew that, you know, we had to be held accountable for our actions, but we had to be rewarded in a way that there was still some, some lightness, some, some kind of humor, some kind of childness to this. So we still had a, 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 a bit of fun with what we were doing at such a serious level. It's important. Yeah, we, Weaver and I always try to encourage other coaches to uh, find something within their position group that they can kind of celebrate that they can have something. I mean, uh, Napoleon used to say that men will die for ribbons. Well, here's professional athletes, you know, making money at the playing the game they love, you know, and and they're killing themselves for candy bars. We got our candy bars, but then there was a there was a an ultimate reward that maybe would come out three or four times a season, and it was if you played. I don't want to use the word perfect, but if you as Dan would call it, if you erased your opponent from the, from the game film, from the, from the stat line. So what right. would, what would equate was, uh, you know, pretty much a hundred percent score. 
or, or and you're the person that you were up against had to register zero tackles, zero sacks, but really you also had to have zero mental errors and do nothing wrong, you know. And and he called that the eraser, the erase word. You erased your opponent from the game. Your your opponent did not exist in that game, and it was like a dollar ninety nine uh, uh, whiteboard eraser from from Office Depot. Okay, <laughs> and and I have them, but I haven't put away now. You know, I still have a few of them that I won. And, you know, he was scotch tape on top of it. He was scotch tape, a piece of paper that said he would, in his handwriting, the eraser, Angus Reed, October 14th, you know, 2010 versus uh, the Toronto Argonauts or whatever. And that's your trophy. So you spoke about what Napoleon said. Like, I have it packed away now. I had it at my bookshelf, but, you know, I have a few of them. And they are, I'll never, ever get rid of them. This is a little dry eraser with scotch tape on it. You know, and this is our livelihood that we make all our money and, and pay our bills. And these things were gold, like, you know, if I won one a season, that's bragging rights around the locker room. And, and, and you know what's cool? We have our own, we had our own film room, so we did it in our own room. But everyone else on the team knew if you won a racer, because I you'd walk around with pride showing that to the receivers and the, the linebackers, because they didn't have that. But I had an eraser. And they all knew someone comes out with that, they hold oh, you big time. Like there was that was <laughs> something. Again, grown men playing playing a sport is a job. But you talk about what matters is those those little things that Dan made a big deal. And it's important to make things a big deal that are that are positive. And no matter how old you are, it doesn't matter, right? We that 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 pride that you achieve something that has been created to be big. It's wonderful. Yeah, and you know, we talk about uh Weaver and I, we talk about keeping our position group exclusive. That exclusivity. I mean, no one else on the team was eligible for an eraser award, right? I imagine no one else was eligible for a payday bar. So the more exclusive you make it, the greater the price of membership, the more that that stock goes up. So I think that's uh, spot on with more coaches need to do things like that. And it might sound hokey at first. Uh, Maybe you have to borrow what other people are doing in order to create it your own. It might not start out as authentic. But there's not much more authentic uh, awards out there than the eraser. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it, and it was so cool. Like, you erased your opponent. There's there some serious, like, ego to that. That, you know, and you knew, too. I, I, I tell you what, the players, I, I'd never forget. We'd hit in the locker room, and, like, I'd have a teammate go, I think I did it. Like, you wrote post game. You're not 100% sure. Because <laughs> you're not really sure. Maybe there was a mental error. And then, you know. 50, 60 snaps in a game, but you know, you look around, we won the game, so everyone's kind of like, you know, smiling. You won't know for 48 hours that we're going to film, but guys are like, I, I think I got a racer today. I'm pretty sure. No, like, it was first thing on their mind. I'd be like, well, I think I'm getting one. I'm not sure, but they don't want to jinx it. Don't want to jinx it. But like, you know, they, they, you're fucking grown men looking around going, I think I did it. Pretty sure I did it this game. And it's really cool. Well, and I got to add some insight to this because in your book, Thank You, Coach, you talk about how, um, the exclusive piece, I mean, you wouldn't know, right? You'd play the game, you'd know the final score, you'd know how you you'd think you knew how you shake out, but there was one time where you thought you were going to get a payday bar and you didn't because Dan, Coach Dan, I mean, he he saw a holding call that wasn't actually called by the officials and that kept you from that payday. And so... And that guy, that, that was our great cup. So that's our Super Bowl. That was our cha- We won the championship. So that was really goofy because we win the championship and nobody watches film after that. Like you're done. You're just celebrating and you have to parade in the city. And, and so a couple guys went and watched film and I never thought anything of the game, but you won. Great. And I knew I didn't give up any sacks. I'm like, this is great. But then our great film mailed to us like, Dan, it's crazy. Like we just won a championship. Wow, he went in the next day and he mailed it to us. And I phoned my buddy, Bobby Singh, one of our red cards. I'm like, this is crazy. Dan, Dan, Dan uh, mailed the grades and I saw in mine, I'm like, holding penalty? I, I didn't get a holding penalty. And, and, and uh, Bobby goes, yeah, that's crazy. He mailed us payday bars. I'm like, I didn't get a payday bar. Bobby got a, he mailed them in the mail. He got a payday bar. I'm like, I didn't get one. I should have had one. And I go in and I watch the film. I'm like, I didn't have a holding penalty because as soon as you get a penalty, it doesn't matter what you grade anymore. So you have to be over 92%, no penalties and no hits on the quarterback. So I'm like, this is ridiculous because I was like 93%, but there was a holding penalty. And I go and I watch my, I didn't have a penalty. And I watch the play. Sure enough, I get bull rushed and I, and I, he caught me. So I bear hug him here and I pull him down at me. Hey, but you see the jersey tug, right? It was brutal block. Didn't get called. Okay. But Coach Dan holds us to higher standards. That's a hold, Angus. Doesn't matter if I didn't see it. That's a hold. And I remember sitting there going, we just won the championship. Like, who cares? Just give out payday bars. 
But to him, it hadn't been earned properly. It wasn't, I didn't, I didn't earn it. And, and, and what we learn in sports and we, you know, this is a whole different conversation here. You start giving stuff out that hasn't been earned. It starts losing value. It doesn't mean anything anymore. When everyone gets payday bar every single game, what's payday bar worth now? Nothing. And so I, it mattered to me because when I watched the film, I knew that I didn't deserve it. And that's what made me mad that I actually did hold because I wanted that payday bar, but he was right. I hadn't earned my pain. It didn't matter. The ref didn't call it. it, it I had held. It was a bad hold. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it didn't do well. And, and that's, uh, again, a reminder that it's a simple uh, $1.99 uh, award, but it had value because you had to earn it. And if you didn't do it right, you weren't getting one. Mm-hmm. Even if you won the championship that game, there was no uh, uh, kind of bluffing your way through doing it right. You did it right or you didn't, no matter what was going on, whether you won the championship or whether it was a preseason game. He'd give them on preseason games. And if you didn't earn one, you didn't earn it. Football's football, whether it's a preseason or championship, you earn it or you don't. Sorry. And that's a big lesson to me that I never, I never uh, forgot either that, you know, you don't, uh, you don't subjectively care about things. You either care about them or you don't every single time you do things. You want something to become valuable again. You want something to really matter. Make it difficult to get, Yeah. you know, earn it, earn it for real. Uh, You know, it's, it sounds nice to be given things, but without earning them, uh, they don't have value or they don't retain any value beyond the, the dopamine hit you get of, of, of touching it and feeling it, showing it off once. And then it's like, well, it's just another shirt. But yeah, I, I can't believe I didn't have it. I put it away. That, that little eraser, I will never let go the rest of my life. Yep. You know, I, I will never let go of that. Or the letters Dan wrote me. I have 210 letters that he wrote before games on a piece of paper with his chicken scratch writing because they matter. You know, the, the, those things matter. Uh, you know, I think, again, we, we, we're in a world now where um, people love to showcase virtu- uh, and, uh, virtually to the world everything, but the stuff that really matters a lot of times you keep private. And, and I think those are the things that we got to get back to doing, those little things that are um, extremely significant because they were earned, not because they're extravagant, but because they're not easy to get. And we got to get back to making certain things difficult to achieve. So people understand when they did that, they've done something pretty special. And they realize one, uh, you know, good things take work. And two, uh, once you earn it, you, you've earned the right to be pretty proud of yourself right now. And that's okay. And that's good. Cause that, that gives you that, 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 that momentum to, to go, I want to go do that again. So how do you do that? Get back to work, yeah. get back to work. Our final segment is brought to you by pro quick draw. If you have a basic understanding of drawing plays in PowerPoint, but ready to take it to the next level, then ProQuickDraw is for you. Listen to our sponsor as they outline how ProQuickDraw can help you become a better football coach. ProQuickDraw is the Microsoft Playbook development system that is centered on increasing your efficiency in drawing plays, generating scouting reports, creating scout cards, and much more. We have the capabilities of drawing within PowerPoint and Visio. Coaches are currently using the programs as standalone drawing platforms or integrating them both within PQD. You can create your presentation using PowerPoint, but quickly add plays from your Visio library. Build your library of plays from scratch or by using the PQD folder system. Create your playbook by adding drawings from your library to a custom template to help organize your final playbook. Utilize our Visio stencils or PowerPoint shape library to help you draw your plays. Speed up the workflow by not having to copy and paste. PQD will resize your drawing based on the template that you have chosen. Embed video within your presentation to help create a digital playbook. We offer templates for handouts and presentations for staff, unit, or player meetings. Generate your practice script using our advanced button. Print this for your coaches or send digitally to your players before practice. You can even convert the handout to scout cards and flip the drawings. Save time during the week not having to draw cards. Draw that play once for the year and you have it moving forward. Connect your library to a cloud service or the school network. When a coach updates a drawing, simply click the refresh all plays button to update the document. We believe we have the tools that can help you become a better coach. Download a free 30-day trial and change the way you work. 
you know, our last segment, we really tailored the show after you, and we just simply call it signature. We asked people they're carrying trademark before, and that's part of it. That's a John Gordon thing. Uh, what do you do that makes you different as a leader, as a coach, as a speaker, as a player? Uh, but we've kind of summed that up, and you you write about it in your book, and thank you, Coach, about your signature, right? So yeah. talk about your signature and what that means and how Coach Dan imprinted that onto you. Yeah, so one of the, you know, I spoke about all the, the kind of phrases that Dan would always put around the room, and, and one of the big ones that he'd always bring up was, you know, every time you, you put your hand in the ground, you're signing, you're signing your signature to your work. And the other one he'd always put was, uh, you know, uh, would you sign your work today? You know, it, it, you know, and that was a question he'd leave us. You know, at the end of practice, he'd go, he'd look around at each of us and go, you, you, you okay put your signature to that? We're going to go, you know, if that, was your, if that was your work of art, you good signing it and putting it on the wall? Or you, or you don't want to sign that one. So every time you put your hand on the ground, you, you're signing your signature. And, and then you, you challenge yourself at the end of the day is, you know, the work's done. Would you sign it? Or would you rather just be anonymous so people don't really know it's you? And so to answer your question, what Dan had taught me was, uh, it doesn't matter what you do in life. What matters how, is how you do it. Your, your signature is, is the way you go about doing whatever you choose to do. And we got to stop being worried about the end product being better than someone else or not. It's the actions that you go about doing things. So whatever you choose to do, your signature should show care and effort. It should show care and effort. It should show that you care and you're giving your effort to whatever you're doing. Uh, care and effort is, 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 is I would like to think as my signature, um, great player. I don't know. Some games I did all right. Some games I didn't. My signature wasn't about being better than everybody else or being the best center in the league. I'd like to think it was about care and effort. I cared about what I was doing and I gave all the effort I had to, to being as good as I could. And to me, again, it comes back to my universal, uh, my universal speaking points to coaches. Are you teaching, modeling, and reinforcing things that will transfer off the field? Because if you're not, you're wasting time. Uh, our, our youth need to be prepared for life and football is one of the greatest teaching tools to prepare them. If you consciously go about uh, uh, challenging them, modeling for them and coaching and reinforcing the traits that they're going to take with them, care and effort, care and effort into what you do. The actual J step or the down block you coach is irrelevant in the bigger scheme of things. It's the care and effort you put into doing that well. It's the care and effort you put into supporting your teammates to do their best to do it. It's the care and effort you put into solving the problem because the block didn't work. And how do you go about figuring out what we can do to improve that through good communication and questions and being open to, to, to ideas? That transfers. That transfers. Uh, mastering the pull, the pull step block doesn't transfer, but understanding how to master it does. And so it's, uh, I don't know who is the, there's a great, there's a great quote. Uh, I feel bad that I can't, uh, it might be, I can't remember the coach that said this. It's not what you teach, it's what you emphasize that matters. And, and I feel really bad here that I can't come up with who, who was saying that. It's a, it's a great quote. It's not what you teach that matters, it's what you emphasize. And so, yeah, we, we have to teach fundamentals and we have to teach how to throw and block and pass. You have to do that. But are you emphasizing uh, uh, the perfect block or are you emphasizing the work it takes to get that? Because the work it takes to get that will, will help build the great marriage. You know, the great business, the great community, that, that is the transferable thing. What are you emphasizing here? Because your kids are going to rise to achieve what you're emphasizing. And so be very careful on where you place priority, uh, the process or the outcome. You know, people love talking about the process. I get it. Uh, but, you know, the process to me is the care and effort to what you do. Uh, you know, there's a million ways to win a game. There's a million different ways. And it's not about, uh, you know, do, running the ball this way or throwing it that way. It doesn't matter. Pick something. What you're really teaching the kids is how to go about doing things well, whatever you choose to do. You know, I think we worry too much about choosing the right offensive system or the right defensive system. Pick something. All you're doing is, is, is supplying a structure for kids to learn how to learn, learn how to compete, learn how to overcome obstacles, learn how to figure things out, and learn how to realize they can do a lot more than they thought they could do. That's all it is. Care and effort. That, that, that I hope, is my signature, or that's what I strive it to be. So when you look at and I my work, you know, the, the maximal care and maximal effort put into it. End result, I don't know. Sometimes it's not great, but there's care and effort in there. And and the byproduct of care and effort is trust. And uh, one of my last notes that I took away from thank you, coach, was 
trust is the greatest gift a player can give their coach. So coaches and leaders out there listening, like all these things build trust, care and effort, the durability, the dependability that are required to play the game of football, that are required to play the game of life. You know, Angus, you've done a great job of giving us countless examples of different times you were fighting in your life and it wasn't third and 11. Like you were, there were different times in your life that it was beyond that. Uh, it was bigger than that, right? Um, and so that trust, you know, that's really important. That's, that's at the end of the day, that's the relationship piece. And it's your job as a leader and the coach to cultivate that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, that to me is the greatest asset you can ever bring to the table is being someone you can trust. And, and when I do my keynotes, I, I break trust down into, as you said, being durable and dependable. Will you always show up? Will you always bring the best? Game planning is a piece of cake. I would challenge any coach in the world to say game planning is difficult when, when, you, when you know exactly who's going to show up mentally and physically and exactly what they're going to bring. Game planning is a joke. It's so easy, right? You can have all the talent in the world, though, but if you don't know how, if they're going to show up or how they're going to show up that day or what they're going to do or how much effort they're going to bring, it, it's a disaster. And so I tell people all the time, your, your, greatest, uh, your greatest equalizer is, is, is being durable and dependable, being highly trustworthy. Over the long haul, I would choose you over the all-star that's undependable and undurable and never knows it's going to show up any day of the week. And I think most people would agree with me. And when you have people that you know what they can do, it's the coach's job to then just put them in the best position to, uh, to not expose them. You know, a bad coach puts you in a position to get exposed. A good coach puts you in a position to maximize what you can do and minimize getting exposed to what you can't. And you as a player, if you just always bring your best and you're always there, it's, it's fine. We'll find something for you. We'll find what you can do well and just put you there. And then, you know, just do that. And then that tra- that transfers. I don't know a, a business owner in the world that wouldn't hire you because you're always going to show up and always bring your best. And we all know that is rare in today's world. It's rare. And so I'll tell you right now, the secret to success, or at least uh, being more valuable than 95% of the people around there now, keep showing up. Keep bringing your best. Most people don't. Most people don't. You do that, you'll always be wanted in this world. You'll always be valuable. And, and you know, that's, I don't know if it's a secret, but wow. That's a, that's a massive advantage you have. And all that is, is, is a choice by asking yourself, how good do you want to be? Show up and bring your best. 